It's Friday. Amen. <laughs> I'm here with co-host David Figler and producer Layla Mohammed. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we're talking about Zombie Yucca Mountain, uh, the Route 91 shooting, and the cannabis lounges. So it's going to be an interesting conversation. <laughs> it's Friday, September 23rd, 2022. I'm Vogue Robinson, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. I was doing jazz hands to the music. You can't see that, but jazz hands were happening. You're too funny. Good morning. Hi, Layla. Hi, David. I love seeing your faces. Hello. Good morning, Vogue. Good morning, Vogue. Good morning, Layla. Good morning, Las Vegas. I like saying that. So, Yucca Mountain. Layla, please break this down for me. Can you explain the Yucca Mountain story? What is going on? Yes. So Governor Sisolak announced that Nevada filed a new legal motion to end the failed plans at Yucca Mountain. It's a very complicated ordeal. Ever since I've been living and growing up in Las Vegas, I've heard like how dangerous Yucca Mountain is. But as like an elementary schooler, you just hear like nuclear waste bad and they're trying to put it near our city. So you don't really get the full scope of it. But in doing research, I found out how complicated this really was. So in 1987 was when Congress passed the Nuclear Waste Policy Act amendments that picked Yucca Mountain as the only disposal site to be considered for the nation's first geological repository for spent nuclear fuel and high-level nuclear waste. So that was, what, 30, 35 years ago. A lot has changed since then. The U.S. Court of Appeals in D.C. ordered the license to be resumed, but Congress hadn't put money in it since 2011. And it needs, like, billions of dollars to be a workable site that will still fail eventually because of groundwater. It's near a earthquake zone. It's expected to get into the groundwater in Amarosa Valley. It's closer to Las Vegas than it was in 1987 because we all know Las Vegas is growing. So there's a lot of things that have changed and the site is always expected to fail. It was called the Screw Nevada Bill when it was passed. It really is like a FU to Nevada. I'm feeling pretty screwed. I'm, I'm like I'm reading when I read upon it. So so it's basically it's a repository and they're going to dump a bunch of crap inside of the mountain. Yeah. I mean, this mm-hmm. has been a plutonium glow political hot potato for all these years. The, the Screw Nevada thing was really one of those timing issues is that they had like narrowed it down to a couple of possible sites back in the 80s with 80 science, but then just looked at Nevada and saw we were going through a major political transition at the time. So we had two very long time powerful senators in the United States Congress. We had Paul Laxalt, if that name sounds familiar to some, and Howard Cannon. And they had been in Congress for a really long time. They were both really super powerful. Both were gone by the time this law went forward. So you had a newer senator, a guy named Chick Hecht, and a brand new senator named Harry Reid. Once Yucca Mountain started being described, Chick Hecht came out and said, oh, no, we're very much against them putting a nuclear suppository in Nevada. 
suppository? Yeah, that's what Repository. he said. Yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> that that was like a big deal in the election of him oh being God. defeated mm. um, by poor man. <laughs> uh, Senator Richard Bryan, who many people know. So shortly after the suppository incident, if you will, um, <laughs> Chick Hecht was gone. Senator Bryan was in. So you had these two baby senators, although both were politically connected in Nevada, they were new to the United States Senate. And so the more senior senators felt like, well, this could be jammed through. Little did they understand and woe did they underestimate the ability to garner political clout like a Harry Reid. And Harry Reid did make it one of his singular issues on every single front imaginable. And I'll tell you, if they don't wind up storing nuclear waste at Yucca Mountain, they could fill that facility with all the motions that have been filed in the various courts over the years uh, and all the bills and all the defunding measures, etc. So, you know, Harry Reid was like the vampire killer in one of those horror flicks, but like a bad <laughs> flick where, you know, Van he just Helsing. keeps pounding the stake, pounding the stake, pounding the stake, and then walks away. And then the, the, the little pinky finger starts moving for the sequel. So we've been mm-hmm. dealing with this uh, franchise of uh, bad horror movie for for a long time now, 35 years, you know, Nevada does not produce any nuclear waste. So it would all be transported from around the country. And a lot of people think, you know, if you produce that nuclear energy for your community, that's yours, player. you have to deal exactly. with it and you should have it. And if it's safe, put it in your community. It's so interesting how political this all is. Forget the climate implications or the climate barriers around this. The Air Force bases, Creech and Nellis Air Force bases, would have to change their operating rules to avoid crashes into Yucca Mountain. And something that was interesting, there are like consent-based applications for places that can be a repository. Um, and that's another option besides forcibly making Yucca Mountain a repository when it's not geologically or hydrologically efficient to store nuclear waste at that site. Yeah, lots of conflicting things. But yeah, it would really be up to like the agency responsible for this project is the Department of Energy. It would really be up to them to maintain and keep spending money to maintain this site for thousands of years. And who knows what like the all of the things that could happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the main points, though, is that there's so much money that's already been invested that it wouldn't be smart to go look elsewhere. But that's the argument of people who want it here. Right. Right. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Why is Governor Sisolak proposing that we kill Yucca Mountain now? So there's always these little flashpoints to make sure that the zombie is dead. It's always been part of any politician's political stance to get their opponent to be soft on the Yucca Mountain issue and perhaps bringing it up. I don't want to be too cynical. It might have been just a timing with regard to the administrative process, but it also may be an ability for Sislak to establish his Yucca cred because it hasn't come up so far in the election in the conversation about our gubernatorial race. Again, there are plenty of people who say, no, the science is sound and it's a good thing for the community that is outweighed by other scientists and more people in the community. And again, to come out for Yucca Mountain seems still, even in 2022, to be a risky move. Mm-hmm. I was like, it doesn't sound like a good look. So, okay, let's say they close it, you guys. What are we going to do with Yucca Mountain instead? Again, I think we put we put all the documents that... All the that, documents. Yeah, I mean, that's that's where it goes. It's the world's largest shredder site. I would love to have that as a place where people can go visit. 
especially for like Nevada history. I feel like I have been hearing about Yucca Mountain, like I said, since elementary school. I remember being in probably like fourth or third grade and our teacher talking about how scary and how toxic this Mm. is going to be for our environment and why we need to make sure our parents know about this. And it was something there was something about it in like the scholastic book (laughs) pamphlet. And it was during an election cycle. I can't remember which one uh, because my memory is not going to accurately take me back that far. But it just goes back so far, and it it's really interesting when it po- crops back up. Um, so today is the first day of fall, and of course, as we step into this new season, October comes, and we think about October 1st and the Route 91 shooting at the Harvest Festival. Um, so there was this big ass article <laughs> on in the Rolling Stone. Online magazines are so interesting to me, but there was this article. And so the article is titled Five Years Since the Route 91 Massacre. No one knows a damn thing. And I was like, oh, that's a long ass title. <laughs> <laughs> but it really did a deep dive into multiple perspectives. And I really appreciate that. One of the things they mentioned is the amount of PTSD that a lot of the people who survived experienced. So the, that feeling of hearing firecrackers and firecrackers kind of setting them off. One of the survivors said, you know, even going to sleep is a difficult thing. They need a sound machine to go to sleep. There was another person who says that they just want closure. They want to know why this happened. And it, it turns out the shooter actually had like 20 different guns in their room and the amount of research they did at multiple, they were at Life is Beautiful before and in the, what is that hotel? Ogden. <laughs> Yeah, in the Ogden. So they were in the Ogden and kind of did what looks like a rehearsal of overlooking Life is Beautiful. And they had gone to Lollapalooza as well. So the shooter had gone to multiple places just to kind of, we don't know what they were there for because the person killed themselves. So just thinking about, okay, well, what was this person's motive? And not knowing why they did it or any part of their motive really keeps that, makes that person just really upset. Like I feel, they feel like they don't have any closure. People got divorced because of their differences in gun, like feelings around gun reform. One of the survivors, Sandra Hauregi, is also a Nevada State Assemblywoman. And her and her husband were both at the festival, at the Harvest Festival. So afterwards, they they split in their views regarding gun reform. So she threw herself into lobbying for gun safety laws and her husband wanted to buy more guns. So they divorced. Overall, how do you all feel about Las Vegas and how we're healing from from this? I think it's interesting. One of the things that the article pointed out was the language around the massacre and how the survivors language differs from law enforcement, like the even from the memorial, the they're naming the memorial or they're referring to the memorial, at least as one October but survivors are writing in saying that they don't call it that. They say the Route 91 or Route 91 incident or massacre or memorial. People say 1 October is sort of like tourist-friendly language to not tie the massacre to MGM and Mandalay Bay and the properties on the Strip. It goes also to like the number of survivors that they count and that they recognize because survivors want to keep the 58 number Mm -hmm. and the powers that be are updating it 
to, say, 60. Yeah, it looks like Metro is saying, you know, 60 people died as a result of the shooting, but they're including two women who were shot on that day but died years after the incident. But I think because people, some of the survivors have tattoos of the number 58 and they put it on clothing and they're, you know, holding on to that and and feeling like that number is very important and that the 58 people who died then and there are the people that they want to memorialize. So let's not forget, this is the largest mass shooting in United States history. We were told very quickly in in various briefings throughout government agencies, et cetera, that this was going to be a mental health crisis for our community. They knew that from the, because look, we're not the first mass shooting. Sadly, we're not going to be the last mass shooting uh, in this country for reasons that we could talk about forever, but there was knowledge. And that, that knowledge came to our community very quickly and saying, you know, you guys are going to be dealing with this for decades to come because of the mental health implications be above and beyond all the other stuff. And, you know, we are not well equipped to deal with our current mental health conditions in our community, let alone, you know, this new at the time incident, which was going to grow and grow and grow. The county, to their credit, and a lot of people in the community created the, the what was called and still is called the Vegas Strong Resilience Center. It is a place to do victim advocacy and support and case management and counseling, at least ostensibly. They raised lots of funds. They can distribute funds to victims and survivors to assist them. They have encouraged people throughout to go to this center to get these referrals. So that was something that that we as as a a state did. There was this thought that, okay, we're moving forward and doing something. And now there's a discussion of what to do with that memorial, honoring the people who died. Yes, of course, but also, you know, doing something for the community from a mental health standpoint, seems to me to be uh, probably a better focus that doesn't seem to be discussed. There's a lot of questions, and I'm interested in these outsider perspectives, like the one in Rolling Stone, on how you know we are contending with this so many years later. Mm-hmm. Vogue, what do you think about that phrase, Vegas Strong? I... Mm-mm. <laughs> I think I think overall across the board, and I think especially just because... I think when we label people and things strong, that it it sometimes makes people think that you don't need support or that that you got this, that, you you know, you're going to be all right. Um, You know, uh, (laughs) you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Like it's this idea that you're just so you're so capable. Oh, you're so strong. You're handling it so well. And it's like just because something is that you can't see something breaking or someone cracking doesn't mean that they don't need support um, or that that we can sweep this conversation underneath or, or I don't know. I just feel like it almost gives people permission to neglect the mental health aspect of what I think is, is really a requirement for us to be okay. And even now in, you know, post vaccine times, I think that there's still some healing that needs to happen even from going through the pandemic. And we're just like, all right, cool. Everything's open. Let's go. And and it's jarring. Uh, I feel shook up. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Vogue, on that language of strong. But I mean, it did bring Las Vegas together at a pivotal moment and really united our community. What are your thoughts on like how the phrase brought our city together and like kind of gave people that strength? 
but it was also kind of at the same time that the Vegas Golden Knights came about and they adopted it right away and and sort of incorporated this sort of Vegas strong concept into their pre-show uh, festivities that, you know, honoring the victims and very emotional stuff. And I was in the stadium when one of those events occurred and it was like, it is powerful. And yet I think Vogue, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head, right? <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, that uh, it's both. Yeah, because I do think we are a strong city. And I think I think I don't know if I would say, oh, OK, this brought us all together because I think there I think that it just showed the city's character. Like, I think it showed what we're made of and that that it's a working class city and that everybody who found out that it was happening, it was just and we so many of us have family that work on the strip, family or close friends who work on the strip. AJ and I watched it on like it was a live thing that was going on YouTube. So we just sat there and couldn't turn it off. We all mobilized. And I think I, I understand the idea of, OK, let's call it Vegas Strong so that we're not defined by this massacre. I think both things are necessary. I think you, we acknowledge the strength. We acknowledge that people came together and and so many people donated blood. Uh, we're bringing food to our nurses. Um, you know, we got turned away from UMC and Thomas and Mac. But there were so many different ways that we saw support in interesting sectors, too, that, that people didn't just think, oh, well. <laughs> I have a friend who has a story about somebody who stole a car to go pick up people from the area so wow. i was like <laughs> my friend was like oh yeah that's, that's some real that's <laughs> right but like how down are we for one another so i think it it showed our humanity uh and in that way it's like well what happens when when this kind of thing happens to our city and everybody we're at the bottom of so many lists but i feel like it showed that we're at the top for compassion that's my that's my snap <laughs> i was like that's how i feel about you know i'm i'm proud to live here and i'm i'm grateful for the people who are here and and the ways that we support one another, especially in moments like this. All right, so let's shift gears. Grind them. <laughs> no, we grinding. No, weed weed lounges have become sort of legal. David, please provide context. As a lot of people know, weed or cannabis, I'm gonna be formal, is legal in Nevada. It's legal to possess. It's legal to smoke in your home. And that's where it ended. So if you were a tourist who was coming to Las Vegas, per se, you had to find somebody's home to use the marijuana that you procured at one of our local dispensaries, which uh, was a little awkward, you know, just knocking on someone's door, I think, maybe. Hi, can I just come in and just smoke this spliff and I'll be right out, I promise. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure people did that. I'm sure people did that. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so the, the concept of cannabis lounge is not something unique to uh, Las Vegas or Nevada. It seemed to be a perfect fit here, though, but it has taken some while. Uh, they finally uh, have promulgated through the Cannabis Control Board the rules and regulations. Those have been released. The city of Las Vegas and Clark County have both sort of opted in, if you will, to have cannabis lounges in, in the community. And so as soon as possibly the beginning of next year, we'll see these locations dotting at least the county and the city where people can go to consume uh, marijuana on site. Uh, there's a lot of very specifics. They were trying they to be can't have alcohol at the same time. Can't have alcohol. <laughs> it can't be close to gaming. 
you can't leave with it. If you don't use it all, you'll have access to uh, what they call single servings or ready to consume. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe there'll be an all you could eat buffet, but you you don't get a, a doggy bag. Um, so there'll be uh, uh, allowances for entertainment. People could be as creative as they want. And there's a lot of other regulations built around that to try to keep the community safe, uh, but also allow this sort of entrepreneurship to thrive. Hmm. What do you think about that, Layla? I mean, I'm kind of excited for it <laughs> just because it seems like such a perfect fit for Vegas. I think the regulations make sense. One of the only places that you probably won't see a slot machine in Vegas. But I think it's going to be interesting. I think the smell in a closed room of a lot of people smoking how they'll figure out how to ventilate that is going to be interesting. How the smell is going to travel outside of the buildings are going to be interesting. <laughs> how people are going to get home um, is going to be interesting. But like we have bars that serve alcohol and somehow people make it home from there safely. And so I think our community needs to be mindful as these cannabis lounges pop up. But I think, I mean, as mindful as we are of bars and all of the vices in Las Vegas, I think we can handle it. I think our community can handle it. I mean, those conversations are happening like at the county level. They were like, OK, uh, those businesses are not allowed to tow vehicles for 24 hours. So the implication being if you get you know, too loaded that you get an Uber home, you don't have to worry about paying for your car getting towed as well. So, you know, trying to be thoughtful about it. They're working it out. Mm -hmm. I love that rule. This is going to be so weird. Do you think locals will go, David? I mean, they don't have to. It is weird. I, I think in a lot of ways it's going to depend on what the quote unquote entertainment is. Getting alcohol out of the equation is going to be a challenge for a lot of those businesses. But I would love to talk with somebody who has a concept uh, of, of how they're going to get people to come in. Because, you know, uh, I don't know how much money could be made off of these, you know, single serve one hitters. <laughs> but, you know, the admission cost and all the other stuff and the overhead, it'd be very interesting. You also have to have a lot of dough right now to open up on these places. You have to show that you have liquidity of $200,000. So people aren't going to be messing around with it. Hopefully that won't you know, hurt access for people to be able to open up clubs. But yeah, I, I think that'd be a, a riveting conversation to see the variety of, of businesses that open now that cannabis lounges are a legal thing. I don't think it's that far out to think that locals will go to the lounges. I wonder, David, if you know, is it illegal to smoke cannabis weed like on the streets and like on the yes. sidewalks? Yes. Mm. No open carry. <laughs> no open carry. No no, open no solo carry. cups. No solo bongs. <laughs> no solo bongs. Oh my god, that would be so funny. They need to make those though. I don't know. I think I think a movie theater would probably make the most sense. Like if somebody opened up a cannabis movie theater, I think that would make the most sense because I think that's what I hear people say the most is like, okay, yeah, you should watch this movie, but you should watch it high. So I think yeah. if they did a movie theater and they got like weird, quirky Tim Burton and other oh, stop, stop psychedelic talking, films. Vogue. You and me, we're going to do this. I'm, I, we're going to fund this. We need $200,000. 200 lodge. Cash. We're going to get that. Um, all right. So we need the shmoney and then we got to get the business licenses. You know, David, I think we could totally do this. CityCast Movie um, Theater. I think so too. Make it happen, guys. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We have so many side 
side ideas that come from these podcasts. If anyone who listens to our podcast, there, there's like money making ideas coming every single day. There's like eight, <laughs> at least eight solid business plans for sure. But I think that and I think like you could do a uh, bakery. So like I know people who have done like dope dining type of things. So they infuse the meals uh, with cannabis as well, but is, which is not the same as like smoking it into a space. So I wonder, does this mean that now your weed themed restaurant, like, is that fair game now? Or yeah. do we? Yeah, but yeah? just no alcohol. Just mm-hmm. no liquor. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fun time. Interesting, fun time. Right. I wonder if we'll all get even more chill. More like, butter, please. Mm. <laughs> right. There's a there's like a magic butter machine. So I don't know. I could see I could see cooking classes. I could see the movie theater. I could see, um, yeah, the, the dining experience. Yeah. There's a lot um, of thorny regulations, and even more so, they can make them more stringent. They just can't make them less stringent at the municipal levels. But yeah, it'll be interesting. It will be. Okay, let's talk about good things, other good things that are happening in the news. (laughs) David, what are you looking forward to? Well, getting away from the news and hanging out with the CityCast Las Vegas team. We're going to all kind of get together, have a dinner this weekend, go see a show. Sounds great. Yes. What about you, Layla? Um, My good news, I want to give one last CityCast shout out to the Aces for winning the WNBA Finals and getting Las Vegas their first major league sports championship. It's so amazing. (laughs) It's very exciting. Go Aces. So the thing that's making me happy is that today at noon, the students um, of our Clark County School District have planned a walkout. So they're going to walk out of school, but it's a protest. So they are protesting climate change and the fact that they don't feel like enough action is being taken. So that makes me happy and excited that the kids are showing up, doing what they can in their form of activism. Uh, and what's interesting, too, is that they actually it's approved by the school district. So they're doing some some direct conversations and communications with the powers that be. So. Somebody is raising some good little activist babies, and I appreciate it. All right, my dears. Well, Layla and David, I hope you all have a phenomenal Friday. Uh, Of course you will, because you're going to see me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're going to see each other. So I'm sure you're going to have a phenomenal Friday. But I'm glad to have you both on the show and to spend some time with you. Yes, thank you both. Yeah, a lot of fun. Can't wait to break bread and, you know, pass the butter. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our lead producer is Sonia Cho Swanson, and our producer is Layla Muhammad. Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheets, and our hosts are me, Vogue Robinson, and David Figler. Music is by OG Moose and All the Kimonos. We record this show on the traditional homelands of the Nuwuvi, the Southern Paiute people. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend? Rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Take care. I refuse to stop recording.
protest 